Good morning. Okay, so if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew 28. We're going to be in Luke 5, but go ahead and turn to Matthew 28. I just want us to hear the, uh, the Great Commission um, before we go to the passage I want to take you this morning. So, Matthew 28, verse 16, is where we're turning to. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege. What an absolute privilege to get to come together to hear your precious word, to be indwelt by your spirit. Lord, to have just the highest of hopes that your word is here, your spirit is here, you are attentive to your people. Lord, you know us, you love us, you have provided all things for us. God, we are a wealthy, wealthy people for all that we have received at the expense of your precious Son who laid His life down for us. So, dear God, let us, let us sit up straight and pay careful attention to your precious Word this morning. God, instruct your people. I, I ask for a refreshment of their souls today. God, an extra spring in their step having left this place, Lord, having been here and then leaving this place God, a, a freshness of your sovereignty in their life. God, that you are in control, you have a plan, a purpose, and you have been so utterly kind, dear God, to let us take part in that. So my Father, I pray for a refreshment of the souls of the people of God. Let us step into 24 with an excitement, Father, and a reminder of what we're here for. Lord, that we could be on point. Not out of guilt or just purely a sense of duty, but Father, with great joy, walking in obedience. So bless this precious family of mine, Lord. I pray and ask in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you turn to Luke chapter 5. Now, I think a handful of you, probably most of you know, my very favorite sermon of the year is the New Year's message. I'm, I don't have a real, like, real clear answer why that's the case. Um, but for me, I guess there's a sense of a challenge or a charge that I get to bring to you. Now, I'm bringing a challenge and a charge to you every Sunday. I, I get that. 
there's something to this stepping into a, a new year where I want to encourage you. I want to bring refreshment to your soul. I want the Spirit of God to use me to do that today. Uh, but also to give you something to focus on, something to, to hold on to as you step into this coming year. Now, you've heard the saying, a picture's worth what? Okay, so the idea behind that, very simple, is that I could say a thousand words, and I plan to, but, or I could hold up a painting, okay? So I, I have zero talent when it comes to drawing. Stick figures really, really give me a headache. So I just don't have that gift as some do. But if I could paint, a painting I would paint that I would want to put in my office is two boats with these massive nets flooded with fish and then taking on water. Now, if I was really good, I could put some little distressed faces on the fishermen and all that kind of stuff. But that picture to me is worth a thousand words. And the Lord Jesus did not give them a picture. Rather, he did it. He gave them an illustration to forever remember in their ministry. I say there in reference to the apostles, but beloved, you as well. And so I want to look at Luke chapter 5, that this may be a launch pad for you for 2024. So look at Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing at the edge of the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, and the fishermen, having gotten out of them, were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the crowds from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we labored all night and caught nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to the partners in the other boat for them to come, to the, to come help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, were also likewise amazed. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. If you notice the text beginning with the phrase, on one occasion. Gospel of according to Luke, as well as Matthew and Mark, these are not necessarily always chronological. The storylines or the story pieces, these sketches that were given in the Gospels are not necessarily in chronological order. There's a loose chronology of them from start to finish of the, of the birth and ministry of Jesus. But each one of these is not necessarily... There was many things that happened before this, many things that happened after this that's not recorded in your Bible. Okay? <clears throat> and so he merely starts with, on one occasion. 
This is one thing that took place. This was an aspect of his public ministry, specifically in where he called his first disciples. He simply is carrying us to another important event in the unfolding story of Christ's earthly ministry. Now, beloved, if you notice, this is an interesting piece to the, um, to the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus. You can call this his popularity days, because at this point, he hasn't received as much heat as he will from the scribes and Pharisees and from the rulers of that day. Rather, people are hearing about miracles. They're hearing about his authority. He's teaching as one that has authority different than any other teacher they'd ever heard. Jesus did not call back to other particular scribes or teachers to give himself credentials. Rather, he said, thus saith the Lord, quotes the Old Testament scripture and and lays it down without looking for any commendation from any other Bible teacher, if you will, who would would give him some credentials. And so if you notice, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, He was standing at the edge of the lake of Gennesaret. Our Lord's popularity, no doubt, was growing, so we shouldn't be surprised by the fact that the crowd is pressing against him. Think about that. They've seen miracles. They've they've seen him teach. But word travels. Others have talked to others who've talked to others about, oh man, did you hear what happened? The... um, the, 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 uh, the guy who, you know, he used to just be a carpenter, but, but now he's a rabbi. He's teaching all over the place. Everybody's wondering, where did he get this? Where did he get this gifting? How does he know this? How does he know the law so well? Not only that, but there's phenomenal things he's doing, like true powerful signs that you just couldn't fake. Well, I got to see this guy. I got to find out what this guy is like, and so we're told, as he's there t- uh, standing by the this lake, people are literally pressing him up against the water. They want to get near him. They want to hear what he has to say. Now, beloved, you got to be careful what you make of that, because you could read that and say, "Wow, these are a whole bunch of believers, true, genuine believers," or this is a pack of people that want to see a magic trick. They want, to, they want to see him do his thing that they keep hearing about. Or, wow, I wonder if there's going to be friction between him and the teachers of our day. I just want to go see what happens. My, my guess is that there's just a mix going on here. Just like everywhere else. True believers, those who are interested to truly hear the word of God, and those who are there to simply see the magic trick. This man who's growing in his popularity. They wanted to hear the word of God. That was definitely um, present in that group. His ministry is growing in popularity. This, this kind of falls in contrast to when Jesus went back to his own hometown. If you recall, when he went to Nazareth, he began to teach, and by the end of his teaching, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. So it's not that I'm saying Jesus has not received any kind of friction in his ministry. That absolutely is a part of his ministry. But specifically here, we're told this batch of people are excited. And they want to hear what he has to say. Lake Gennesaret, by the way, is another name or title for the Sea of Galilee. So being pressed against the water, our Lord saw two empty boats. Um... And so a preacher doesn't have to work too hard to find his pulpit. So look down at your Bible. 
He saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, this is verse 2, and the fishermen, having gotten out of them, were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, and it just happened to, quote-unquote, be Simon's. And he asked him to put out a little way from the land. So being pressed against the water, our Lord saw two empty boats, put himself in one of them, and asked to be pushed out for a little bit of a ways. The fishermen had worked hard all night to no avail, and now were washing and mending their nets for the next time. As Jesus climbed into Peter's boat, he asked him to go out a little bit and began instructing. It's kind of interesting in the text that one of my favorite aspects of the Gospel of Luke is his attention to detail. He pays careful attention to detail that, <clears throat> well, for instance, Mark really doesn't do. Because notice in the text, we're even told that not only did he get in the boat, but he sat in the boat and began teaching in that boat. The sitting was actually the, the standard posture of teaching at that time. If somebody were to teach, if you recall, when Jesus goes into the synagogue in Nazareth, they roll, unroll the scroll and read that, and then he sits to begin to teach. That was the typical posture of somebody who taught at that time. So the Lord Jesus is not merely going for a boat ride. He is going to actually be teaching. But what a great idea. We'll go out from the water a ways to break away from the crowd because it's getting a little bit pressing. I'll sit in the boat and I'll begin to teach. Now, in Peter's mind, he's helping out the rabbi. In his mind, the idea is, okay, that's all Jesus has asked thus far. Get in the boat and let's go out a little ways and Peter goes, yeah, that makes sense. Now, think about this, beloved. I want you to put yourself to the, as best you can in Peter's sandals. He's been out all night working very, very hard, throwing those nets out, those drag nets, and as they're dragging across, so they pull it up. What do you got, Peter? Nothing. All right, we'll put it back out. Put it back out. What do you got, Peter? Nothing. Nighttime was the best time for fishing here, and so they were out all night fishing, and they caught absolutely nothing. Now, I don't know about you. When I'm tired, but I'm catching, things are good. But when I'm tired and you get nothing, I'm doubly tired and cranky. Not only that, we still got to clean up the nets. Notice they go out on the shore. They're scrubbing the nets, trying to put everything back into order. I would imagine a bit irritated, and now there's this huge crowd, and they all want to hear this preacher preach. And so the preacher gets into oh, my boat. Peter, take me out a ways. And what I find fascinating about Peter throughout this is that he has a submissive spirit. Don't miss that. Throughout this whole discourse, Peter has a submissive spirit. I believe with all my heart there's something brewing in this man at this time. He's the professional. Jesus isn't a fisherman. He's a carpenter who's a rabbi. Peter's the professional. Just store that thought for a second. Once again, Luke gives a clear example of the fact that Jesus was primarily a preacher-teacher. His proclaiming the message was his goal. Now, I, I, I think you know this. I believe you guys know this. I know I've said this. I know our elders have said this, but I say it once again. The primary goal of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus was not healing. It was not the miraculous. Those absolutely were a part of his public ministry. But if you remove truth from the miraculous, 
You remove the ministry. <clears throat> if you have a group of people say, wow, what a wonder-working guy, and that's all they get, they go to hell. The message is the vital piece. And the miracles are attesting to the, vital, the, the truth that Jesus is declaring. You've got to remember, beloved, there were times where Jesus chose not to heal. On purpose. His goal was not simply to make people better in this life and then eternally go to torment. That's not the ministry of Jesus Christ. And it's tough. I'll, I'll say this. This is the, kind of from the preacher standpoint, but I'll just say from a Bible student, Christian standpoint, guys, let us be careful that we don't put some aspects of our Lord's earthly ministry in too, too high of a category, too high of a pedestal, to where we, we put low that which seemed to be the most important to Him. Jesus said that the reason He came was to bear witness to the truth. And so only giving people um, a sense of satisfaction and comfort in this life, though that is not wrong and it's important, it is secondary. The first and foremost thing, the greatest thing in the mind and life of Jesus is the declaring of truth, eternal truth. Not the miraculous. <clears throat> That's important because I think by nature, to some extent, you and I gravitate to the miraculous. Have you ever said this or heard somebody say this? If somebody could just see a miracle, then I know they'd believe. Did you know the Word of God says the opposite? With the rich man and Lazarus, they're actually told that... Um, he says, I want you to go and tell my family. Remember, he's in torment. He says, go tell my brothers what's happening so that way they'll believe if they see you. And his response is, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe. It's not the miraculous. If we can just get people to see the miraculous, then we'll just get them going. It doesn't work like that. Where's faith? If it's all sight, where's faith? And so, let us be careful not to put this too out of proportion in reference to the miraculous signs done by Christ. Now, let me turn your attention to a miraculous sign. <laughs> if you look down at your Bible. He got into one of the boats, and he's out there with Simon, and he's teaching, okay? And he began teaching the crowds from the boat. And when he had finished speaking... Now, this is what I find interesting. Do you see the space, look at your Bible, between verse 3 and verse 4? You see that, that white space right there? I wonder what's there, and I wonder how much time is there. How long did he sit in the boat? What did he teach? Because remember, he's about to um, bring this incredible miracle in front of all these people to watch. This crowd that's pressing against him and the, and the soon coming disciples as they're pressing against him. They're all there to see him. He's been teaching. I just wonder, what did he teach? How long did he teach? You know, was this a, a good standard 45 minute to an hour sermon? A couple hours of teaching? A little quip? 15 minutes? It doesn't say. 
It makes me wonder, as the people are there to hear the word of God, what did they hear from the Lord Jesus? What did he teach? Because I'm curious to see what teaching this miracle accompanied. But, the, but it, we're not told, so I'll be quiet about that. Jesus was obviously fully aware of the fact that Peter had been fishing and unsuccessful all night. I believe the Lord Jesus was keenly aware of that, knows exactly what he's doing, and is about to accomplish an incredible um, act in front of Peter. So once he had finished his time of instruction in the, in the Word, he was now going to give a clear example of who he was before their very eyes. Now, here's the thing, beloved. Don't miss the miracle worker in, in the shadows of the miracle. He who's doing it is the focus, not that which is done. Okay? Remember, our Lord's miracles are present to attest to the truth of his word and point to his deity. Jesus called on Peter to take the boat out into the deep and drop the nets. Now, look, look down at your Bible. When he had finished speaking, verse 4, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Now, I'll let you attach whatever tone you think is there. Master, we labored all night and caught nothing. Now, we can look at that and go, Peter, don't you know who you're talking to? Don't you know what you're doing here? Don't you know who you're dealing with? But come on, guys, you, haven't you been there where you work so hard, and you're just exhausted, and you walk out, and some very kind soul will say, hey, you forgot a piece. Yes, yes, I did. I forgot a piece. And so here's the Lord Jesus who says, Peter, I know you just washed the nets, but get them dirty again. So not only is he tired from being up all night, he probably just heard a lengthy message because he took him out in the boat. So now Peter's there. He's been sitting in the boat listening to Jesus teach. He's exhausted, been up all night. The nets are clean. And Jesus says, now get him dirty again. Let's go fishing at the most inopportune time ever for you, Peter. On a human perspective, from a human perspective, it only makes sense Peter would at least throw up a little bit of a, yeah, but. And so he says, Master. Another translation, Lord. All night. We've been doing this all night. You're the rabbi. You're the carpenter slash rabbi. I've been doing this for years. My father showed me. My, you know, I, I, I know how to fish. I know when to fish. I'm a professional at this. Don't you realize what you're asking me to do in this time? There's no fish out there. I, I don't want to go out there. In my, from my human perspective, in my strength and ability, we're not going to catch anything. Most important word in the text, well, one of them. But you're the master. So he says, but at your word. Now, beloved, 
if you're comfy writing in your Bible, I encourage you to underline that, highlight that, do something with that. Because Peter is acting in faith by the word of Jesus Christ in doing this. Please notice he doesn't say, but this makes sense to me. No, he says, this goes against everything that makes sense to me. This is against my grain as a professional. The people on the shore, they're going to laugh the fact that you're telling me to go out and put it. They know I caught nothing. They know this is the time you don't fish. I look like a fool out here. But I will look like a fool on the basis of your word. So, okay. Let's go throw the nets out. (laughs) And when they had done this, They enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. Now, I don't believe this is a break in the sense of it actually broke open, so fish start flying everywhere. But you've been there, right? Where you try to lift something with with some kind of a net, and you hear that, and you know, this is about to snap. This is about to go. There's too much weight. This isn't made for this. And Peter's a professional. I'm sure at some point he's heard a sound like this where he knows the nets are about to give way. There's a miraculous feat being done here. We caught nothing, but now at the word of Jesus Christ, we are, we're breaking our nets. They enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now, picture this. Remember, it does not say the crowd remained and stayed on the shore this whole time. So I don't, I don't know if they're there or not. If they are, what a spectacle. First you hear this, this teaching, and then they go out, and he says, throw the net out in the deep water. So they rowed out there to, to that deep water. And now this boat is starting to sink. The net's breaking. They signal some way, perhaps the other men over on the shore. Remember, both boats probably aren't out fishing. So now these guys on the shore are coming back out in their boat. Now they're going to get their nets wet. You imagine how this would hit them. As they see the signal from Peter, whatever it was, probably, help! <laughs> and as they head out there, they go, and they're, now their boat's sinking. And in this, in this moment, it, it'd be interesting to just stop one of the fishermen for a second and go, hey, you ever seen this before? <laughs> Nothing like this before. It's breaking. So they come out. Now look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw this. Now, here's the interesting thing. At this moment, this is most likely one of the greatest catches that has ever taken place in the history of this lake And here's Peter, and here's these guys. What a ginormous catch. This is fantastic. Nobody has to lie about this fish story. Everybody saw it, okay? So, cha-ching, we are going to be so filthy rich. Not only that, maybe Jesus would come back. And maybe he would... We could employ him and all he's got to do, we just need five minutes. Not even that, just for him to, you know, and then fill up the nets. Such an incredible act has just happened. This, no doubt, was a huge day for business. 
But what was Peter and his men's response in what just happened before their eyes? Look what Peter says, you guys. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Remember, our Lord's still seated. Saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Now, beloved, do you see, do you see how contrary to human nature that is? Typically, the human nature, when it sees something like that, you look at how to employ it for your benefit. Or just you're, you're, you're awestruck at the wow factor and you just can't believe it. Or you speak very highly about, look at all these fish, look at these nets, look at what we're doing. Guys, let's get this going. Look at this ginormous catch. We have more than we've ever had in our life. Business is booming. But instead... He's not even looking at the fish. His eyes pierce at the man and his response to him, get away from me. What a a weird response in the sense of uh, so contrary to the nature of mankind. In seeing the miracle, Peter saw the holiness of Jesus Christ. In seeing the holiness of Jesus Christ, Peter saw the unholiness, the darkness of himself before Jesus. Beloved, this is much like what you see in the Old Testament scriptures where Isaiah sees the Lord seated high and lofty on his throne. Isaiah's first response, I'm ruined. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips for I've seen the Lord. And as he saw that glorious holiness of a pre-incarnate Christ, Peter sees an incarnate Christ, and his response is, Get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter was, was dead set focused on the miracle worker, the one who's done it, not the stuff that happened. He's not blown away by all the fish. He's blown away by the guy who just went contrary to everything that he knows to be reality. This is truly a supernatural act that's taken place here in two ways. It's supernatural for them to catch that amount of fish at that time after they've been fishing all those hours, but it's supernatural for Peter's response to be focused on Christ and not on the miracle itself. Not only that, it's supernatural for Peter to be focused on his own sin before the holiness of Jesus. The whole thing, beloved, this whole thing is going against the grain of our natural inclination. There is a supernatural work of God in their midst right now. Our Lord put Peter's fear to rest. Look down at your Bible. As he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, were also likewise amazed. Now here's the thing is, in that miracle, if you notice in the passage, the last thing Jesus says is take us out. He teaches And then he says, throw out the nets. Then nothing else happens. 
And this is, this is where it's tough, is that we have a, a written document, not a, not a visual uh, way of seeing this. And I wonder, what did Jesus look like in that moment? As these guys are struggling and grabbing the nets and trying to deal with that, and Peter's signaling to have people come out and help them, Peter falls to Jesus' knees, which tells us he's still seated. How calm is he? What did he say? Did he say anything? And so my, my thought process goes to Peter's waiting. What's he going to say now? What's the response? You know, it's that, it's that moment where you have uh, somebody come and they stand up and they're about to speak and they wait for a, a while and the whole room goes dead silent. It doesn't, never happens here, but the whole room goes dead silent. And then as he opens his mouth, it's like you could hear a pin drop as you hear that tone begin to speak. That, that's what I have in my mind, aside from the fish slapping around, as Jesus is going to say what he's going to say. Here's Peter who's come to absolute understanding, or to the best he could, of his own sinfulness and of the holiness of Jesus. What are you going to say? And i got to say, there are moments in our Lord's ministry where he shows, I'll call it super kindness, where it's tender, it's gentle, and utterly kind. Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. And I wonder, again, what tone was said there. Jesus' response is a call on Peter's life. Please notice this. Please notice this. Jesus does not say, I hope you'll be catching men. This is a prophetic statement. Jesus knows exactly how Peter will spend the rest of his life. He's actually going to tell him the means by which he'll die in chapter 21 of John's gospel. Jesus knows what he's doing, knows exactly what the future looks like for Peter. And so this statement is not him saying, I hope you take the job. Rather, he's making a declarative statement. From now on, you'll be catching men. This is who you are. This is what you'll be doing until the day you stop breathing, Peter. This is your life. Now, look down. It says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left most. They left everything and followed him. These men had considered the value of following Jesus Christ as much more than all that they had known before. How different this looks compared to the Christianity in our day so often, where Jesus gets a quarter of us, or an eighth, maybe a half, but that's huge. But the scripture says here, they left everything. Now, what's amazing about that is, here's the question that the text doesn't say a word about. Who gets the fish? And I don't know, you can speculate this afternoon and think on it, where the fish went, who, who got the fish. Um, one commentator said, how precious would it be that the Lord Jesus provided for their family as they left everything to follow him? Possibly. Perhaps the people on the shore, they, they all got a bunch of fish and they took that home. Text says nothing about it. 
I do not believe for a second that all the fish were wasted. I believe the Lord Jesus, he's a multifaceted God, you guys, and he accomplishes a ton of things within particular events. And so feeding a ton of people, catching all these fish, calling his disciples, teaching those who are on the shore, it's never this one single focus in the ministry of Christ. He's affecting a ton of different things throughout his actions in ministry. But think about what's being said by these men. They've left their job. They left the greatest catch of their life. They left everything on that shore. And now they're going to live with Jesus for three years. They're going to devote themselves to him. They're going to travel with him. They're going to live with him. They're going to see what's happening in his life and grow and learn from that. True discipleship, beloved. They're literally going to walk in the dust of Jesus Christ, absorbing his teaching for the rest of his earthly life. And so let me draw your attention to this picture that I um, brought to your attention at the start of this message. Thinking of those boats that are capsizing, these boats that are taking on water, that we're going to get sunk because of this ginormous catch. What I like to think about is let's fast forward 10, 15 years from that day. And there's Peter proclaiming the message, heralding the gospel. And perhaps he has a discouraging day. I can't help but think in this guy's mind, he has that, those two boats continually come back to him. Here's the thing. I am not the one... Com, um, connecting evangelism with fishing. Do you see who did it in the passage? Jesus did that. Jesus is the one who said, from now on, you'll be catching men. So it was Christ giving the, this picture before Peter for the rest of his earthly life for the rest of his ministry. See, Peter, as you go out there and you, you find yourself discouraged, you find yourself distracted, you find yourself as if, man, all they do is beat me. They hate the gospel. I go to this town, I go to this town, and, and they hate it. They don't want to hear the message. They hate God by nature. They hate this message. And I get beat up and trampled for this message. But at your word, but at your word, I'll throw out the net. See, beloved, there's, there's some incredible parallels, and I encourage you to do this. Take a sheet of paper and just write two columns and put the parallels between this event and the ministry of Peter, the ministry of the Apostle Paul, your ministry. Do you realize how much you're going against the grain of natural thinking to walk up to somebody and start to talk to them if they want to place their faith in a crucified Savior and lay their life down at His feet and submit unto Him? The fact that God came in the flesh and died upon a cross and laid His life down as the only substitute, there's no other means that by which you can go to heaven. You go herald that message in this world and you go against the very grain of natural man. And here's what he says, but at your word. I'll, I'll send out the net. 
And so I think about Peter at that time, thinking, knowing what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, where he said, this message we preach is foolishness to this world. They think you're an idiot. But I felt like an idiot when I threw those nets out. And God, in the flesh, wowed everybody watching. So, Lord, at your word, I will be faithful to preach the right and true saving message. And the results are in your great hands. And if people hate me, they hate me. But you know what? You proved yourself in so many ways. But, Lord, that day when you, you sank our boats, when I... I even, you think about as he thinks back to this, I reiterated to you we worked all night. You're God. I'm a sinful man. You're a a holy, glorious king, and you showed your sovereign power so clearly there. So, Father, at your word, help me to stay faithful. Help me to be faithful to throw the nets out. And Lord, as you catch the fish, all glory and honor and praise and majesty is yours because that goes against the nature of humanity for them to lay their lives down at your feet. That's the supernatural work of the Spirit of God. You showed yourself miraculously and against the nature of this world in that fish catching, and you'll do the exact same thing in the ministry of the gospel. From now on, you'll be catching men. So, beloved, here we are. Stepping into 2024. And I want you to ask yourself a question. Just to, It's one of those that you're in the car by yourself or going for a walk or something. Do I feel stupid or kind of lame sometimes when I share the gospel with an unsaved friend? And I know I should, and I do it at the word of the Lord, but I just have this feeling of just a little embarrassed, and my church family's not there, my, my spouse isn't there, my kids aren't, it's just me and them, and I know it's going to land weird. And Beloved, can I just consistently put in front of you two boats sinking, flooded with fish, and remind you that the conversion of a soul is the Spirit's job. And you put nets out. The call on your life, beloved, the call on my life, is your faithfulness to put the nets out. And trust the Sovereign One. Trust Him with the results. But be faithful. Put the nets out. Don't don't be nervous. Don't be scared. Look at the boats. There they are. And on top of that, I would imagine at some point in Peter's life, he looked back and thought, wait a second, why did I respond that way? Well, beloved, why are you sitting here? What happened in your soul? What went against your nature and brought you here? So what I love, profoundly love, is that I'm a caught fish who's catching fish. I got caught. And then not only does he put me in the net, then he goes, now throw out the net. The Lord in his grace and mercy, by the ministry of my mom, caught me. 
And now he calls me to go catch some more. Wonder of wonders. But the um, miracle worker in our evangelism is the same one that flooded both boats. The same one that has been calling people unto himself for centuries. The same one who said, I'll build my church. The same one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go. That's the truth. And my hope and prayer is that that truth can be so absorbed into our thinking, it takes away our fear in heralding the only message that will ever save a soul. My Father God, I thank you for your precious word. I thank you uh, 